the blood and the lamb, the significance of Passover and Easter. Well, hello everyone. I am Daniel Morgan of Go Ye Harvest Outreach Ministry. Today is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let me just say up front that I want to say thank you for watching this video recording as well as the other video recordings that we have posted. I pray that these will be a blessing to you. As I continue to say, people of God, fear not, because our God reigns. And he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. You know, looking around, it's such a beautiful day today. So I thought that I would do this recording outside. You know, the word of God says in Romans chapter 1, that all of nature declares the glory of God and his eternal existence. You know, though Jesus did go into the temple, he did most of his preaching to the people in the outdoors. Earlier this week, I was asking the Lord if I should even do a Easter message. And if so, what should I say to the people? Well, you know, this is Holy Week. And today is Holy Friday. This is Holy Week. And today is Good Friday. And Sunday, of course, is Easter. You know, a lot of people may not really understand what this is all about. And I believe the Lord will help me to speak on the relationship of Passover and Easter. You know, while many people, Christians and non-Christians, know about Easter, and we Christians celebrate it, Many do not know or understand Passover or what it is all about. So what is the significance and the relationship between Passover and Easter? Well, I'm glad you asked. But before diving into the significance of Passover and Easter, let me say that because of the devastating effects of the coronavirus, COVID-19, I believe that Passover and Easter have significant meanings to both Jews and Christians for similar reasons. Both the Jews and Christians are praying for a miracle even as men look for a cure. Whether COVID-19 is a plague or not, the World Health Organization has declared our current situation to be a pandemic. You know, a pandemic is defined as an outbreak of a disease that occurs over a wide geographical area and affects an exceptionally high proportion of the population. We are told the coronavirus, this COVID-19, is affecting 209 countries and territories around the world. And that as of today, more than 1,674,000 people are affected. And the virus has claimed more than 101,000 lives worldwide, with 489,000 Americans being affected and over 18,000 lives lost in our own country. So yes, it is a pandemic. If nothing else, regardless of whether you're saved or unsaved, regardless of how this pandemic started, it is causing many people to consider God and their relationship to him and his son, Jesus. You know, it is interesting that at this time, this current situation that we are facing, 
is happening leads up to Easter. And as such, Jews and Christians alike are praying that God will heal our countries of this disease. We are praying for a miracle. So let's talk about Passover and Easter. As I said, Passover and Easter are tied together. So let me kind of put this into perspective. I believe the time of the Jewish people when the Passover occurred is very similar to the time that we're experiencing now. The Jewish people were crying out for salvation from God against slavery. You know, they were in Egypt and they had been in slavery for about 400 years. And they were crying out to God. And just like today, those of, those of us who know Jesus, who know God, we're also crying out. We're praying that God would send a deliverance or some cure for this deadly coronavirus. The Passover that the Jewish people experienced is believed to have occurred about 3,300 years ago. Passover, as you may know, is a major Jewish holiday and one of the most celebrated of all Jewish holidays. It was one of the three major festivals celebrated by the entire population of the kingdom of Judah. And all of the people of the kingdom made a pilgrimage every year to the temple in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. You might recall that when Jesus was a small boy, the scripture says in Luke chapter two, verses 42 and 43, that every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And then scripture says, when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. So the Passover, the celebration of Passover by both Jews and Christians alike is taken from the biblical account of God's deliverance of his people, the Jews, from slavery in Egypt. It is believed that this occurred sometime in the 13th century, about 1300 years before Christ. So about 400 years of slavery in Egypt and being subjected to the backbreaking labor and unbearable horrible, God saw the Israelite plight and sent Moses to Pharaoh with the message to tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they may serve me. God had told, God had told Moses in chapter 6 of Exodus, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, the Lord said, he will drive them out of his country. You know, but, this, but despite many warnings, Pharaoh refused to let God's people go, even though he was warned many times by Moses and his brother Aaron. So God sent nine plagues against Egypt, and these plagues afflicted the Egyptians rather bad. The plague, the plague brought locusts, it brought frogs, killed livestock, turned the Nile into blood, and a number of other things. But still Pharaoh refused to let the people of God go. Finally, God had no choice but to take one last drastic action. Moses said to Pharaoh in chapter 11 of Exodus, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go through Egypt. Every firstborn in Egypt would die. 
from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand meal and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. The Lord says, there will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than ever before or will ever happen again. But among the Israelites, not even a dog will bark at any person or an animal. You know, God also told Moses, each Israelite, each Israelite man is to take a lamb for his family and the nearest neighbor who does not have one, slaughter the lamb and eat all the meat roasted over the fire along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. They were commanded to eat the meal in haste, for it was the Lord's Passover. Notice I said, the scripture says, this was the Lord's Passover. So the Israelites were also told that they to take some of the blood from the lamb, put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of their houses where they eat the lambs. And then scripture goes on to tell us that God told Moses, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down the firstborn of every person and animal, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. At the stroke of midnight, on the 15th day in the month of Nisan, in the year 1313 BC, God brought the last of the 10 plagues on the Egyptians, killing all of their firstborn, including the firstborn of all the Egyptian livestock and children. While doing so, God spared the children of Israel. He passed over their homes, hence the name Passover. Now, people of God, it is report, it is important that you remember the blood and the lamb because we're going to be talking about that. God said that when he sees the blood, the blood of the lamb, the Israelite put on their doorpost, he will pass over that house. And you will hear me talk about this more. You know, you know, Pharaoh's resistance was finally broken, and he literally chased the Israelite out of Egypt. We are told that 600,000 men, to include children and women, left Egypt. And though this occurred 3,300 years ago, the Israelites still celebrate the Passover because God told them in Exodus 12, 12, this is a day you are to commemorate for the generation to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance. So from the time of the Passover, 1300 later, as was the custom of the Jews in the time of Jesus, and according to the lasting ordinance that God had given to Moses to give to the Jewish people, Jesus, at the end of his ministry on earth, celebrate Passover with the disciples. Just prior to his death by crucifixion, we are told in Mark chapter 14, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciple asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? In Luke chapter 22, we are told that later on, as Jesus was eating the Passover meal, he said to his disciples, 
I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it fulfills, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And then, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You know, Mark chapter eight, verse 31 through 38 goes on to say, he then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he, Jesus, must be killed, and after three days he will rise again. You know, people, Jesus was the perfect lamb, and he was crucified as the only perfect sacrifice for our salvation. John chapter 1 verse 29 says that John saw Jesus coming to him, or coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't it fitting that as the Jews celebrate Passover, Christians are preparing to celebrate Easter, which is done to, which is done to commemorate two of the three most important significant events of our faith. We celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we celebrate Good Friday and Sunday Easter. Additionally, and most importantly, is a connection to the Passover for the Jews and the Christians is the blood. You know, God passed over the Jews when he saw the blood on the doorpost of the Jewish homes. Because of the blood of Jesus, God passes over our sins. He forgive our sins and we're given eternal life. We are told in John chapter 19, verse 34, in like manner, the blood of Jesus was spilled and shed for us on the cross when a Roman soldier pierced him in the side and outpoured immediately blood and water. You know, after the Israelites left Egypt, when they went to Mount Sinai in the desert, where God gave the law to Moses, we are told in scripture that for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Because we are human, we suffer the effects of Adam's sin, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 12 through 21. Let me read this for you, brothers and sisters. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passes upon all men, for they all have sinned. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, that is Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by grace to that one man, that is Jesus Christ, overflow to the many, to all of us. The gift of God, who is Jesus, cannot be compared with the results of one man's sin, that is Adam's sin, you know. The judgment followed one man's sin, that is Adam's disobedience, and brought condemnation. But the gift of God, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass, the sin of the one man Adam, 
death reigns through that one man and to all of us, how much more would those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? So here's the significance, brothers and sisters, of Easter and how it ties to the Passover. In the death, shedding his blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's initial plan for the forgiveness of our sins so that we may be so that we may be reconciled back to him was fulfilled. God's word tells us the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 20 verse 22, without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. Under the law and until the death of Christ, the Israelites and everyone else correction under the law and until the death of Christ the Israelites were to take a young bull without a blemish or defect and offer it as an offering to the Lord so that their sins were forgiven and remembered by God no more. Now look what it says over in Leviticus chapter 4. The Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, When anyone sins unintentionally and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, if the anointed priest sins, bringing guilt on the people, he must bring to the Lord a young bull without defect as a sin offering for the sin he has committed. He is to present the bull at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the bull's head and slaughter it before the Lord. You know, people of God, it is very similar for us. As I said before, the word tells us that without the shedding of blood, there, there is no forgiveness. However, unlike under the old covenant, under the old covenant of the law, we do not have to present bulls or other animals as a sacrifice for our sins. Because we cannot stand before a holy God because of our sin, God presented Jesus Christ as a perfect sacrifice. The blood of Jesus was shed for us on a Roman cross at Calvary. With the death, with the death of Jesus, who was a perfect lamb to be sacrificed, we are told in 2 Corinthians, God made him, him who, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin, a sin offering for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus died as a ransom to set us free because we were under the law. We are no longer, brothers and sisters, under the law, but under grace. We receive grace, brothers and sisters, because of God's love for us and the forgiveness of our sin through faith and belief in Jesus Christ and his atoning work of redemption on the cross. Again, scripture says, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And then I love what the apostle John tells over in John uh, chapter 1, verse 29. And I said this before, the next day, he who, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and he said behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because he was without sin brothers and sisters the body and the blood of Jesus who is the Lamb of God was made an offering that satisfied God once and for all by this perfect offering of Christ as a living sacrifice for us we are perfected we are sanctified you know first Peter chapter 2 verse 24 it says he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin 
and live for righteousness. So let's take a look, a brief look, at the events of what we call Holy Week, leading from Palm Sunday up to the following Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So on day one, we have the triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday. That's the week before uh, Easter Sunday. On the Sunday before his death, Jesus began his trip to Jerusalem, knowing that soon he would lay down his life for our sins. Nearing the village outside of Jerusalem, he sent two of his disciples ahead, telling them to look for a donkey and his unbroken and his unbroken coat. Disciples were instructed to untie the animals and bring them to Jesus. Then, when they brought them to Jesus, Jesus sat on the young donkey and slowly and humbly made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, fulfilling the ancient prophecy in Zechariah. That is Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the fowl of a donkey. You know, the crowds welcomed Jesus by waving palm branches in the air and shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus' triumphal entry is recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. On day two, that Monday, Jesus clears the temple. So the following morning, as Jesus was returning to Jerusalem with his disciples, he cursed a fig tree because it had failed to bear fruit. Now some people now some people believe that cursing the fig tree represents God's judgment on the spiritual dead and religious leaders of Israel. And then others believe that this was to show that genuine faith is more than just an outward an outward religiosity. You know, having a form of religion but denying the power thereof is what we're told in scripture. True living faith must bear spiritual fruit in our lives. You know, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, the fruit of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. So when Jesus arrived at the temple, he found the courts full of corrupt money changers. People were exchanging money. And as you may know, uh, at that time, we're talking about the Romans had control of the area, and so you had the, the Roman coins, but you could not do the sacrifices or bring Roman money into the temple, so the money changers were exchanging Roman money into the temple court's money. And then seeing this, Jesus began overturning the tables and clearing the temple, and he said, the scriptures declare my temple will be a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Monday's events were recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we come to day three, that Tuesday, and Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus first goes back to the temple. The religious leaders there were upset with him for trying to establish himself as a spiritual authority. You know, Jesus had pronounced harsh judgments on them, saying, you blind guys, for you, for you are like whitewashed tombs beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people bones and all sorts of impurity. Outward, Jesus said, you look like righteous people 
But inwardly your hearts are filled with your hearts are filled with hypocrisy. But inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. He called them snakes, son of vipers. And then he says, How will you escape the judgment of hell? You can find this in Matthew chapter 23, verses 24 through 33. And then later that afternoon, Jesus left the center and went to the Mount of Olives with his disciples where he gave the famous Olivet Discourse, which is an elaborate prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem, the end of the age, end time events, including his second coming and the final judgment. Scripture indicates that this Tuesday was also the day that Judas Iscariot negotiated with, his, with the Sanhedrin, which was the rabbinical court of the ancient Israel people, to betray Jesus. The events on Tuesday and the Oliver Discourse are also found in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But notice how all of the Gospels testify to the last eight days of Jesus. And then this brings us to day four, Holy Wednesday. The Bible doesn't tell us very much about what Jesus did on that Wednesday, but we do recall in Scripture that a short time before this, Jesus had revealed to his disciples and the world that he had power over death by raising Lazarus from the dead in Bethany. And because of this, many people believed that Jesus was the Son of God, and they put their faith in him. Also in Bethany, just a few nights earlier, uh, Lazarus' sister Mary had lovingly anointed the feet of Jesus with some very expensive perfume. And then we come to day five, Passover and the Last Supper on that Thursday. And it is on this day, that Thursday, that the events of Holy Week take a nosedive. You know, Jesus sent Peter and John on ahead of him to prepare the upper room to make preparation for the Passover feast. So that evening, after sunset, Jesus watched the feet of his disciples as they prepared to share in the Passover meal. By performing this humble act of service, Jesus demonstrated by example how we should love one another by washing the feet of his disciples. Today, some churches still practice this. I recall the church that we attended back in the 60s and the 70s and into the 80s, that they also practiced feet washing. After washing their feet, Jesus told his disciples, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until it is meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. That's found in Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. As the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, Jesus was able to fulfill the meaning of the Passover by giving his body to be broken and his blood to be shed and sacrificed, freeing us from sin and death. During the Last Supper, Jesus established the Lord's Supper of communion, instructing his followers to continue to remember his sacrifice by sharing in the elements of bread and wine. Later, Jesus and his disciples left the upper room and went to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed in agony to the Father. You know, Luke Gospel says that Jesus prayed so hard that his sweat was like great, was like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. 
Now, while Jesus was the son of God, and Jesus knew the reason he had come into the world, it is clear, brothers and sisters, that Jesus did not want to go through the agony of death, being separated even for a moment from God the Father. So later that evening, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by Judas Iscariot. He was arrested by the Sanhedrin. He was taken to the home of Caiaphas, the high priest, where the whole Jewish council had gathered to begin their case against Jesus. And brothers and sisters, you might recall that in the early morning hours, as Jesus' trial was getting underway, Peter denied knowing Jesus, his master, three times before the, before the rooster crowed, just as Jesus predicted. And brothers and sisters, you can find these, re these events also in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then day six, we have the trial. We have the crucifixion. We have the burial of Jesus on that Friday that we'll call Good Friday. And this Friday is the most difficult day of Passion Week. In those final hours, brothers and sisters, leading to his death, Jesus was, Jesus was brutally and painfully beaten. They were, very, they, were very, they were very brutal for Jesus. Before the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus endured the shame of false, of false accusations, beatings, condemnation, mockery, and abandonment. And after multiple unlawful trials, he was sentenced to death by crucifixion, one of the most horrible and, disgra and disgraceful methods of capital punishment known at that time. You know, before Jesus was led away to be crucified, the Roman soldiers spit on him, they tormented him, they mocked him, and they were pierced him by putting a crown of thorns on his head. And then Jesus was forced to carry his cross to Calvary, where again he was mocked and insulted as the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus, our Lord, to the wooden cross. You know, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, he made several final statements. His first words were, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. And then in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then about the ninth hour, tells us that Jesus breathed his last word. Just as the Gospel of Jude tells us that at the birth of Jesus there appeared with the angels a great multitude, a great multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men, on whom his favor rests. And then the Gospel of Matthew tells us in chapter 27 that a great earthquake coincided with Jesus' crucifixion. And then when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up the spirit, we're told. At that moment, the curtains of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs of the dead broke open. You see, heaven rejoiced when Jesus came to earth in the manner of a human being to bring salvation and forgiveness and the opportunity for us to be restored back to God the Father. The earth itself cried out when its creator, Jesus Christ the Son, gave up his spirit. By 6 p.m. that Friday evening, Nicodemus, and you may recall Nicodemus, he had the conversation with Jesus at night regarding being born again. 
Nicodemus and Joseph or Amathea took Jesus' body down from the cross and they laid it in a tomb. Friday's events are also recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then we come to day seven, Saturday, where Jesus' body lay in the tomb. And while his body lay in the tomb, Jesus' body was guarded by Roman soldiers. And it lay there because this was Saturday, the Sabbath. Now the Sabbath ended around six o'clock that p.m. And after that, that is after 6 p.m., Nicodemus brought spices and herbs so that Jesus' body could be sent prepared for burial. And the scripture tells us that Nicodemus brought 75 pounds of a fume ointment made from myrrh and aloe. They wrapped Jesus' body in a long linen cloth. And Nicodemus, like Joseph of Arimathea, was a member of the Sanhedrin, the court that had condemned Jesus Christ to death. And for a time, both of these men probably lived their lives in secret as followers of Jesus because they were afraid at that time to make their profession of faith in Jesus because they were permanent members, because they were prominent members in the Jewish community. However, I believe as others that they were so affected by Jesus' death that they now boldly came out of hiding. They took Jesus' body, they laid it in the tomb. It says the tomb of a rich man. They believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. I pray, brothers and sisters, that as we continue to deal with this coronavirus, that Christians who are lukewarm and many others will get off the fence, that we'll get off the church pews and begin to tell everyone that we know about Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Continue, my brothers and sisters. While his physical body lay in the tomb, Jesus Christ paid the penalty for sin by offering the perfect spotless sacrifice. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for us with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. So brothers and sisters, you can read all of this in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Notice there's a recurring theme here about the Gospel, all four Gospels recording these things. And now, brothers and sisters, this brings us to day eight, Resurrection Sunday. And oh, thank God for what occurred on that Sunday morning. Jesus rose from the grave. He conquered death. And brothers and sisters, on Resurrection Sunday, thank God for what occurred on that Sunday morning. Jesus rose from that grave. He conquered death both spiritually and physically, and he secured our eternal salvation. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 through 57 says, Oh, death, where is your victory? You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 through 57 says, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your, where is your sting? For sin is a sting that results in death, 
and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ our Lord, brothers and sisters. So on Resurrection Sunday, Easter as we call it, we have the culmination of Holy Week. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant and important. Event. The very foundation of all that we believe about Christ hinges on the truth of God raising Jesus from the dead and seating him at the right hand of the Father. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all of men the most pitiful. Notice this now. The word goes on to say, But now, but now Christ is risen. And he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by one man death came by man, by Jesus Christ also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall live. Continue, brothers and sisters. Jesus appeared to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So early on Sunday morning, several women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna Salome, and Mary the mother of Jesus, went to the tomb and discovered that the Lord that the large stone covering the entrance to the tomb had been rolled away. An angel announced, Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. But he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said he would. On the day of resurrection, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ made at least five appearances. In Mark's gospel, we are told the first person to see him was Mary Magdalene. Jesus also appeared to Peter and to, and to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And later on that day, to all other disciples who had gathered except Thomas while they were gathered, and a house of prayer. Brothers and sisters, the eyewitness accounts in the gospel provide the undeniable evidence that the resurrection of Jesus Christ did indeed happen. And two millennia later, two years later, after his death, untold millions of us believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he did rise from the dead. And brothers and sisters, and those that don't know Christ, we know that he lives because Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit. The events that occurred that Sunday are also found in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. With the death, with the birth, the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, more than 44 prophecies were fulfilled. So let me read a couple of those to you. Messiah will be born of a woman. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Also in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. And in Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. The Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. 
The Messiah will be born of a virgin. The Messiah will come from the line of Adam. The Messiah will be a descendant of Isaac. The Messiah, Jesus, will be a descendant of Jacob. The Messiah will come from the tribe of Judah. The Messiah, Jesus, will be heir to David's throne. The Messiah will be called Emmanuel. The Messiah will spend time down in Egypt. A massacre will occur and will happen at the Messiah's birthplace back in Bethlehem. The Messiah will be rejected by his own people. The Messiah will be preceded by Elijah. And on and on, Scripture continually talks about what will happen with Messiah. Forty-four of them throughout the Old and the New Testament. Genesis, Isaiah, Samuel, the Psalms, Daniel, Malachi, Zechariah, and in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Romans. So brothers and sisters, as we celebrate this Easter, let's do some soul searching with the Lord. Where is your faith in God and his word? Is he truly Lord of your life? Are you filled with his spirit, living and walking in the spirit? Have you made your salvation sure? Consider what was in Second Peter chapter 1. And I want to read this to you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And his divine power has given to us all things that pertains to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who was called, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which has been given us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, given all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly love, and to brotherly love kindness. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make sure your call and election. If you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, especially those who do not know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. If you died now, where would you spend eternity? If Jesus were to return right now for the rapture of his church, would you be left behind? So I ask you, pray, fast, and seek God. Draw close to him. Brothers and sisters, if you know Christ, as I continually say, keep on keeping on. Draw close to Christ. Brothers and sisters, I also want to read this passage of scripture that came to me as I was doing my final review of this video recording for this Easter Sunday. And I'm not sure who these passages of scripture may be speaking to. I pray that they will speak to all of us. But take note to what 
we are told in Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to read verses 1 through verse number 7. And these passages of scripture reads as follows. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sin for men, so that you would not grow weary and not lose heart. Brothers and sisters, we're being encouraged. Jesus endured all of this, and he's encouraging us not to lose heart, not to grow weary. Continue with the reading. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have not forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. Listen to this now. The word says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship, therefore, as a discipline. Endure hardship, therefore, as discipline. God is treating us as sons. But what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. So brothers and sisters, that word came to me. And I want to share with you. Just remember, the important thing here is that God loves us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us. We have not had to endure the shedding of our blood. Jesus did. The humiliation and the shame. And then we're encouraged, brothers and sisters, that as we go through different things in our lives, as things come upon us, some things come naturally. And yes, God does sometimes discipline those who are disobedient, just as a father who loves his child and wants the best for his child, will discipline his son. So the scripture says, God disciplined us. The word also says, those he loved, he chased. So brothers and sisters, I hope that that word will speak to you. And if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I want you to read the gospel of John and then read the 10th chapter of Romans. Then pray and ask God, ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to save you. Talk to a relative, a friend, or other Christian who you respect. In closing, my brothers and sisters, know that Jesus Christ is indeed risen. We know that he lives because he lives in us. He talks with us. He lets us know that we're his own through the Holy Spirit as we walk with him through obedience. Brothers and sisters, until the next time, I want you to be blessed. Peace and blessings in abundance. Know that God loves you. His son, Jesus, loves you. And so do we.